Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple podcast. I'm Dina Varley, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in the podcast studio and I've got a special guest for us today. I always say they're special because I do feel that every guest on the Project Purple podcast is special, but coming to us all the way from near Albuquerque, New Mexico right now. He's not from that area, but he's there right now in New Mexico, Kenny Mintz. Kenny, thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple podcast. Thanks, Dino. Thanks for having me. So full disclosure, I say I say a lot of these terms a lot, but full disclosure is one of them. We just met literally five minutes before we hit record, or before we hit record here on both ends. Talked a little bit about where you were. I know your story. I did do some back research on your story, but I am super excited to hear the story from you because uh, right before we hit record as well, you said you're from Pennsylvania, but you're in New Mexico. There's a reason for that. I've been in New Mexico and I've traveled pretty extensively since the start of Project Purple. I traveled a little bit before my previous career, but not as much. And New Mexico is a really cool state. I was there for some training. Ironically, like I think February of, when did we shut down? 2020. So I went from New Mexico, I went to Nebraska, New Mexico, and then I did Vegas. And then I came back. That was like the last like big trip that I had before everything shut down, but really, really cool state. Um, I know Albuquerque is known for, you know, being kind of mystical because, you know, there's the UFOs out in that area, but also (laughs) there's, there's a lot of, and and I I, were joking saying that, but well, UFOs could be real now. They they have come out and said that, but um, there is a lot of really positive energy in that area. Uh, A lot of people believe that, um, which is pretty amazing. So um, we could talk about that positive energy for a whole other sure. podcast, but we're here to talk about <laughs> the great things you're doing and, and what you're doing. And with that, our first segment is always our guest opportunity to kind of share with our audience what brings them here today to the podcast and you know why they're doing what they're doing and, and how pancreatic cancer has impacted their life. So with that, Kenny, the mic is yours. All right, Dino. So I am currently on my way to a little place called Encinitas, California. I'm walking across America. I started on the 1st of April in uh, Washington, D.C. at the Lincoln Memorial, and I'm currently in New Mexico, working my way uh, into Arizona here. It's going to take me a little bit yet, but working my way through New Mexico into Arizona and then finally into California. Um, So this is my 11th state. So far, I've walked uh, 2,430 miles uh, so far, and uh, I'm just about to start, uh, just about to finish my fifth month of walking. I walk about 20 miles a day, 18 to 20 miles uh, a day, and uh, I've had hundreds of people walking with me along the way. The, the motivation and the inspiration for this walk is from my mother. Um, my mom died of pancreatic cancer in March of 2020. In fact, she died on the 16th of March, right before everything kind of shut down from COVID. She fought uh, a five and a half year battle against cancer. Um, you know, she she's one of those who who you know, lived for a pretty long time with this cancer. And, 
you know, it was, it was a couple of things about her that inspired me to do this walk. First of all, uh, I was raised by my mom. She was a young, um, you know, single mom working in the Washington, D.C. area in 1974. And she decided that she wanted to start a new life in this magical place called San Diego, California. And decided to just basically move um, and start a new life. She drove with a Navy family that was going out there and needed someone to drive one of their cars. And all she had was me, a suitcase and a dream. And she went out there and, and, uh, you know, found a place to live, got a job, eventually started uh, her own company and it was, was quite successful. Um, And, you know, she was 23 years old. And I was four years old when she took that journey. You know, the American dream. Um, And her strength, her courage, her sense of adventure to do this has always been fascinating to me (laughs) that she would just do something like this. And so that idea is what drove me to eventually want to do this walk. And I came upon this idea to do this walk when my mom was fighting against her cancer. And my mom and I were always very close. We became very close in that last five and a half years uh, to the point where even today I'll be out walking and I'll see something and I'll try to call my mom even though it's, you know, a year and a half now since she has passed uh, to tell her about what I'm doing. And when I came up with the idea to do this walk, you know, I told my mom about it. And of course she thought I was kind of crazy, but she, she asked that, you know, when she was dying at the end that I dedicate a part of this journey um, to, you know, helping to find a cure for pancreatic cancer. And, um, you know, so right now I'm supporting the pancreatic cancer action network is the, is the charity. That was the charity that she always supported. She would do the purple stride every year. And, um, and so that's, you know, that's sort of what, that's a big part of what I'm doing. I'm also a veteran. Uh, I serve in the army, um, for 34 years, I, I went to West Point for four years, graduated and then served as an active duty army officer and infantry officer for 30 years. I retired as a colonel at, uh, I was working at the Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And so I retired in Carlisle in June of last year. So I'm also walking for some veteran based Charities, the Johnny Mac Soldiers Fund and Operation Resiliency, which are which is part of the Independence Fund. Um, so that's sort of how you know that's sort of the the story of of why I'm doing this. I'm walking for these charities. I'm walking in to honor my mother. Um, I'm also walking to honor 
the soldiers I lost in combat and also to honor the veterans who have served with me and who continue to, you know, um, also those that continue to serve. The, uh, the journey is also about making connection. And, you know, my battle cry out here is come walk with me. And, you know, it's in our DNA to walk and talk together. And in a world that isolates us today, um, everything is, 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 and it's particularly in the post COVID, but during the COVID era also where, where we were forced to, you know, stay away from one another. It is in our DNA to, to seek connection. And I'm not just talking about, you know, this kind of connection that you and I have looking at each other in a screen. I'm talking about the physical, authentic connection that comes from spending time together and reading body language and reading facial expression and, and tone of voice and all the things that come from our physical uh, connection. And, you know, what I have discovered out here is the amazing fulfillment and connection you can get from walking and talking together. And I have had all manner of people come spend time with me. People I don't even know. We'll spend a day walking. They'll leave and go, Kenny, that was really great. So it's been a very positive uh, adventure so far. I still have about a thousand miles to go. I think I'm kind of going into in some ways the toughest stretch of this as I get into Arizona, particularly the Western desert of Arizona. I'm thankful that that's near the end of my journey because I can see the end. And frankly, the end right now is pulling me. Uh, there's a bit of an obsession that comes when you do this every single day. There's a mental and physical amazing um, magnetism that draws you out and wants you, forces you to want to keep going. And, you know, you talked a little bit about New Mexico. I just happen to be in New Mexico right now. New Mexico is a, you know, a very interesting place. It is the land of enchantment for a reason because it's a beautiful, the countryside is absolutely beautiful. It's also the confluence of cultures here. So you have the Native American culture, the Pueblos, uh, people that have been here for you know thousands of years. And then you have the Spanish influence, then you have the Mexican influence, and then you have, you know, I'll say the Anglo-American or just the American influence all mixed together. And you see that, you know, as you walk, I walk down from Colorado from the San Louis, Louis or Louis Valley of Colorado down into Taos and then Santa Fe and then on the turquoise trail down into this valley. I'm in a valley right now that kind of reminds me a little bit of Kansas. Uh, and then I'm going to go west across the Rio Grande River and continue. Uh, when you walk, life slows down. You gain an appreciation for smaller things. I find beauty everywhere. Uh, I see nature 
I find connection with people. Um, you know, with respect to the the you know the discussion about pancreatic cancer, I had a woman with her family come walk with me yesterday. She was drawn to my story because she lost her brother to pancreatic cancer. They drove up from El Paso, Texas, and you know, four hours away, and spent you know about nine miles with me, half a day of walking, and somehow that you know that connection that we shared. You know, that was something that she felt like she needed to talk to somebody maybe that had just sort of shared that experience of loss. And obviously pancreatic cancer is a deadly cancer. And I have found along the way so many people that have been touched by it. So many people that have lost friends and family. I spent a lot of time with my mom as she went through the cancer uh, treatments. She went, you know, all the way through treatment three times at Emory University at their cancer, the Winship Cancer Treatment Facility there. Uh, I think she got, you know, incredible care there. In the end, there was nothing more they, that they they could do for her. Um, my mom wanted to live. She fought to live, and you know, she lived by the motto "Wage Hope." And my mom's lifetime motto was choose joy every day. And so I, I constantly remind myself of that every day to choose joy. And uh, yeah, I certainly feel her with me. You know, sometimes I'll be out, you know, walking and it will just be brutally hot. And I'll just say, somebody, please just give me some wind right now. And all of a sudden the wind will pick up. It's amazing. So it's been, you know, it's been quite an adventure. I still have a long ways to go. I hope that, you know, people can come find me and walk with me as I go through some pretty remote areas. Uh, I'll be walking through a, you know, US 60 into, into Arizona and then onto a place called Payson, uh, Arizona. I'll be walking south of Sedona um, into the Prescott area then towards quartzite uh arizona crossing into california blythe california i'll walk on california route or highway 78 up into julian in the mountains and then south or correction west almost due west right into the coast and i grew up in the coastal area of north county san diego most of my life Growing up, I lived in a little town called Cardiff-by-the-Sea, which is right next to Encinitas. And I grew up going to the beach, a little place called Swami's Beach is where I planned to stop. Uh, this place is, is a magical place for me, uh, a place rooted in my childhood. It is a place that, uh, you know, in darker times, particularly in my service and combat, where I would think about what it was like there in this this beautiful place on the coast in, in Southern California, and that would inspire me. So that's why I was sort of drawn there. I think that uh, sort of sums up, you know, in probably more words than necessary, what, you know, what I'm all about right now. Kenny, uh, first of all, thank you for your service. I didn't know that about you. And, um, Man, that that's uh, that's pretty powerful stuff. 
He said a lot of things there, and I, I took a lot of notes. Uh, what's your mom's name? Sandra Gualtieri. So my mom you know, remarried when I was a senior in high school to Frank Gualtieri, and they moved to Georgia, the state of Georgia, right after I graduated high school. And I pretty much stayed in Georgia. My mom ended up, they ended up moving uh, to a little town called Sugar Hill, which is right near Lake Lanier, north of Atlanta. And, and that was where they lived the last 20 years. Um, so, um, yeah, Sandra Gualtieri. So, in terms of, I got one question here for you. Um, your mom's history, like when she got pancreatic cancer, was life. I know you mentioned, you know, your mom was, you know, your rock. You know, you guys went across country and, you know, she yeah. was uh, your best friend and everything. Yeah. So, was she relatively healthy leading up to this diagnosis of pancreatic cancer? Yeah, she was healthy, vibrant, working. Um, I was actually deployed to Afghanistan in 2014 when she was diagnosed. She was complaining of not feeling right. And uh, I think she had some jaundice. There was, you know, it took a while, not a long while, but it took, uh, it took a few visits to the doctor to finally get her diagnosis. And I did not know. I had no idea how deadly pancreatic cancer was. I was like, okay, mom's got cancer. That's not great news. We'll treat it. We'll fight this. Um, you know, I had a bit of a, you know, a moral conflict because I was deployed mm -hmm. and I felt like, you know, here's my mom. Now she had to go into surgery. She went and had the Whipple done. It was successful. And then she had uh, chemo after that maintenance chemo or whatever they call it to kind of hopefully knock it all out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when I got back from my deployment, actually I came back on leave and I went to see her in Georgia. And then I came back to see her again uh, when I came back from my deployment, you know, she, she was doing okay. You know, she was obviously had, you know, been knocked out a little bit from the chemo, but she was adapting to her life and her life became about fighting this. She became involved with Purple Stride as well and, and that community. Um, the cancer came back about a year later and she went in for chemo again and it, and it worked and it went away. The cancer got knocked back for another year. We went to California together for Christmas to see my stepsisters out there and other friends and family. And that was a goal that she had set, like, I'm going to do this. And that was a goal again in the you know December of 2019, she wanted to do it again, but she was in hospice at that point. Um, so the cancer came back again, another year later, she went in for treatment again. Uh, this time there was really nothing left for her. And she went into hospice. We actually went and did the Purple Stride. I want to say like October of 2019, I had to push her in a wheelchair. She was too weak to walk at that point. And she had announced 
you know, they had all the survivors come up and she announced that, you know, she was going into hospice. And the, I think her, the word she used, I'm going to finish this thing with dignity and grace is what she said. And of course, I'm sitting there, you know, on the stage with my mom helping her and my mom saying, no, I'm going to die soon. Um, I've spent a lot of time in life and death situations and I have been around death. I've had to deal with death. Um, I've learned how to compartmentalize loss and focus on the mission. And my, my life mission became taking care of my mommy. I was still in the army. I was a, I mean, I was a colonel in the army. But I had a job that gave me some flexibility and some bosses that gave me the flexibility to take care of her. Uh, and my mom was in hospice for f- about five and a half months. It was, mm-hmm. it was a gradual and painful end. Not what my mom wanted. Uh, nobody wants that. No. Uh, but I, you know, I watched her die. I watched her diminish. She was in a lot of pain. Um, but we had, we had a, you know, a time, you know, know, as a, as a, I'm not sure if you're a parent or not, but you know, my mom left this world knowing she was loved and appreciated. And that, you know, obviously as I was her, I'm her only son, her only biological child. My mom had a lot of people that adored her. Uh, friends, um, her, a close group of friends uh, in there in the Atlanta area who came to see her even when she was, you know, not there was nothing left of her. Her sister, my Aunt Sharon, um, her cousin, uh, James, also came to help me take care of her. And um, and so that's the story of, of, of her. Like she, she, when we would go to Emory, for her treatment, my mom would dress up, she put on makeup and she said, and I, and I was always like, what are you doing? Mom? I'm like, why are you doing all this? She's like, I want them. She was super friendly to everybody. Look them in the eye. She's like, I want them to remember me and I want them to know I want to live. I'm not coming here to die. I'm coming here to live and I want them to remember me. Maybe they'll do just a little bit extra for me. Um, that was her, you know, she wanted to live and, and she fought hard to live. And, you know, even though she was fighting cancer for those last five and a half years, we, you know, I, I talked to her every day. I went to see her. I spent so much time with her. I, I am so thankful that I had that time with her uh, because a lot of times when you get pancreatic cancer, it's, it's a six month, you know, or less usually. And and I was blessed to have that time with her. And I have four kids. I brought each of my children, you know, to spend some individual time with her. We had a Thanksgiving together. I brought all the kids, um, to see her, you know, they're all young adults. And, uh, yeah. So that's, that's the story. That's the cancer story. It's pretty powerful, Kenny. You know, I mean, to hear you talk, uh, you know, I don't know if it, I've gone through that. 
you know, I lost my dad. And, and when you said, you know, uh, it was five years and you, you knew for you, you dealing with your day job that you have and, and then having this reality, you know, we, you knew the reality, right? Like time isn't uh, forever. The, the, the clock is ticking. Um, and to take advantage of that time while you had it with your mom and to make sure, you know, she's loved and she knows you love her and you did everything. Um, you know, I, I don't know. And I, and I say this from my experience and in, in what you just mentioned and what you experienced, I don't know if people on the other side that haven't gone through that understand that. And, and I don't mean that in a, in a disrespectful way, but I've said this often, you know, and I think unless you go through it, do you understand it? If that makes sense. Right. And, and I hope people, you know, given what we've just gone through with a pandemic, right. Where people, you know, isolated and, and, you know, didn't see loved ones. I hope that people really take to heart what you just said, because, um, tomorrow's never guaranteed. Right. And, you know, a cancer diagnosis to take a step back, just, I guess I'm going to preach here for a second, you know, cancer diagnosis shouldn't be the way that we live that way. Right. To, to, to act that way. It should be like that every day uh, because tomorrow isn't guaranteed. And, and I don't know if you've experienced this maybe on your walks, um, you know, to consider that maybe if there's, and this is my question, do you ever look back and think about that being a gift? I mean, it's a pain and in, I know you probably would, would do anything in the world to have your mom back, but almost a gift in the sense that and the way I say this is because I, I remember when I went through it, I had a friend tell me like he got into a fight with his mom and then the next morning he gets a call from his dad that his mom passed away and he was never able to make peace with his mom because they got into like a, like a disagreement, right? But she died in her sleep, you know, and, and to, to, I guess I always try to find the positives and everything and not that there's a positive in losing someone that's so important in your life. But there is something pretty special that if you look around and see how some people live their lives and take a lot for granted, I guess. It's the human condition to take things for granted. Um, I can honestly tell you for one moment in my life, I did not take that relationship for granted. And I'm proud of that. And one of the things my mom, even we would talk about, she's like, you know, Kenny, I'm so thankful for this relationship that we've rekindled if you will that, that we, we talk so much that and my relationship with my mom you know was was unique i mean my mom ha, you know has uh, she's sort of a larger than life person i mean i didn't really understand that as much to me she was just my mom but i spent a lot of time with her she had a big personality people loved her because she made everybody feel special. She made everybody feel like they were the most important. She saw goodness in people. And you hear that a lot. You know, people tell, talk about their moms or their dads and they say these things and it's true. Um, but my mom was sort of a larger than life personality to me. She was just my mom. My relationship with her was very warm and authentic she was a sounding board. She was my person. And I was old enough and mature enough and self-aware enough 
you know, as she was dying, uh, to actualize uh, my appreciation for her. And that was something that she appreciated. It was very important to her that, that this relationship that we had at the end. Uh, and we didn't know it was going to be the end. I mean, it wasn't like, well, clock's ticking. We only got, you know, it was always about hope. I mean, it was like, you know, that was something about my mom, you know, that I also inherited is this hopeful spirit. You know, this idea that tomorrow's a new day, tomorrow's another chance, tomorrow's another opportunity. Maybe today is a, is a loss. Maybe tomorrow will be a loss, but the next day and the next day, there's always something else you can do. Three strikes and you're not out. And that was, you know, the attitude. Um, I don't know if I completely answered your question because I kind of got lost in my no. narrative here, but, but you know, it, 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 this, this, you know, we, we do, one of the things that's a common trend is, you know, I'm walking with a lot of people that are my age. I'm 53 years old. Some of whom have lost their parents, many of whom have not, but they're dealing with the impending loss. They see the decline. <clears throat> you know, our own mortality is something that, you know, we live longer you know, than we ever have. Um, mortality in life and, 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 and all of the things that we ponder you know, I feel, you know, obviously I'm out here walking every day. I am living life. Uh, I am alive. I feel the sun, the wind, the rain, the pounding. I see the flowers and the birds, the wildlife, everything around me. Uh, all of that motivated by the loss that, that I experienced with my mom, but also the loss of young men that I lost, you know, in Afghanistan in particular, but also in Iraq. Um, the men that I lost as a commander has inspired me to want to live. But when you lose your parents, there is a sense of mortality and a sense of loss that you're right, that, that you cannot comprehend if you haven't gone through that yet. Um, and it's a hole that cannot, cannot be filled. There is, it's always there. It'll always be there. And That, that's also a part of this condition, you know. You lose your dad, you'll never get that back. So if you have an argument with your mom or your dad, I mean, I get it. You know, people are assholes. I mean, you know, moms and dads are assholes. I get it. Um, sometimes mom and dad, moms and dads are assholes because... You know, they, they want you to, they, you know, they know something that you don't because they've lived life and they're trying to help you. And we're, we, as, as younger people, you know, think we know it all. You know, we think we've got, 
some kind of keen insight into the world that we really don't. Um, you know, be humble and think about the, the big picture. You know, think about family. Think about those connections. Remember that your parents aren't going to be there forever. That's hard to do. But, you know, both of us have had that loss. Um, it's certainly uh, changed my perspective. It's something I think about every day. I think about it every day. Yeah, I, I think there's, I may have said this before, but no one talks about mortality, right? Everyone thinks they live forever. And I, and I think the other reality is the reality of mortality, right? What we, what we just talked about here. And, 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 you know, I'll say this, Kenny, I once read this and uh, I forget which book it was, but it was uh, something along the lines that, you know, to, to be, to miss people so much means the impact that they put on our lives when they were here. Right. So that that's normal when you lose someone that that is that instrumental in your life and such a big part of your life that that's normal to have that. That's not abnormal. Um, but it also is a testament to people's lives. And and something that I've said, and, and I continue to say is like, mortality is a fact of life. Not saying that, you know, there's no right or wrong on how people handle it. You know, and, and but the one thing I, I do believe in is though, like the traditions and the memories that we've created with those parents and those loved ones, cancer can take our loved one away, but those traditions and those memories stay in our lives and in our family's lives for as long as we allow that to happen, right? Like the stories that you shared about your mom. Like that stays in, and she stays alive in our memories uh, and the traditions uh, that you created with her in your family for as long as you allow it to. Um, you know, and then that's something I think people kind of lose sight of. I know life, you know, unfortunately, life does go on for everyone, right? Like the mortgage doesn't stop just because you lose a loved one or, you know, um, you know, people move on, uh, whichever way they do that. But those memories and those traditions that we created while those people were alive, they can carry on as well. And I, I think sometimes that get, that does get lost in it a bit, you know, where people forget, you know, to do the things, whether it was, you know, holidays, getting together with family, um, you know, nuances that parents, you know, provided, um, you know, those kinds of things I think are really, really critical and important to keeping that memory of those people alive in our lives. I'm going to give you a little bit of a different perspective. I certainly agree with, with what you just said. Um, I believe that it's important to um, tell the stories. I think it's important to all of us to know where did we come from? I think we, there's a desire for that. And many people to know, like, where, where did, you know, where did my family come from? How did we get to this point? I, I know I feel that way. I also know people that don't really care, which is alarming to me. Um, particularly younger people. But um, the real this is the reality. In two generations, 
after you and I pass, no one will remember us. Maybe there'll be some tradition that we passed on that lives on, but no one will know why. And it, honestly, it doesn't really matter because whatever's, whatever happens to us when we move on, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's happening. We've moved on from this mortal life into whatever you believe or whatever is the reality that, that occurs. To me, the lesson is live life now. Don't wait. You know, when my mom died, she, you know, she, she wasn't a rich woman. She didn't have a ton of money. She wasn't poor. You know what she was rich in? She was rich in friends. Mm. It's the most wealthy person I know. So live a good life and live life. Seek connection. Worry less about putting things off because you said it earlier, tomorrow is not promised. And yet we, we always do it. Like, oh, I'm just going to suck it up for five more years or, well, do we really need to? Sometimes you do have to suck it up. I get that. That's part of life. Sacrifice and sucking it up is part of life. But do you also keep things in context and realize, you know, we're just a tiny little speck on a speck or a speck of stardust in the universe. And our problems are going to pass. And uh, there's so much joy to be had. My mom would say, choose joy. So choose joy, live life now. When you're gone, you're gone. And whatever you pass along, you want to pass the right values and the right traditions. Your legacy, you know, unless you're very, very famous or very, very wealthy, you know, with some kind of huge endowment, your, your legacy is, is, is your children. It's your friends. It's how you connected with people, but even that will fade into nothingness as you're forgotten. So, this is a great gift that we've been given called life. It's hard. Once you accept that it's hard, once you accept that it's painful, once you accept that there's disappointment and loss and that that's normal, you can start to enjoy it and find fulfillment in it. And that's what my mom's journey, her loss, I think has taught me. And I still, you know, we're always growing. We're always learning. We're always advancing. So, you know, when I told my mom I was going to walk across America, she said, well, Kenny, I think that's crazy. You know, you're <laughs> money, you know, at least this is your money making years. You need to go be an executive. <laughs> and, you know, I, and I respect that, that was her perspective and I have nothing, you know, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but I also sort of have this desire to do this thing that I'm doing right now because very, very rarely in life do you get to have the freedom to choose to just do something like this and just go out and do it. You know, we spend our lives waiting, like, oh, do I have enough money to do this? Correct. 
is the boss, is the boss going to let me do this? Can I take the time off? Does my wife allow me to do it? Whatever it is. Um, this is an expression of my personal freedom as well, that I have the freedom to do this, to, to do this walk, to experience my country, to share it with lots of other people. And it's obviously quite painful. It is very hard, harder than I could have ever imagined. But I know that if my mom was alive today, that she'd be very proud that I'm doing this. And, and that's something I carry with me. And so in a very long-winded way, I kind of shared with you a, philosoph a philosophy that kind of goes to this more sense of mortality and what, you know what, what, how I look at mortality. Um, I get it. We're, we're all going to die. I'm going to die someday. I'm not going to, I'm not dead yet. So while I'm not dead yet, you know, I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to, I'm going to live, I'm going to live life. I'm not going to wait. It's powerful, Kenny. And, uh, you said something, I, I know your mom's proud. She's watching from above or wherever she may be. Yeah. Um, Let's let's talk about this walk because I, I got a couple questions. I got a lot of questions on this. So and you answered <laughs> one of them here. Uh, so your mom knew about it. So that was one question that I had here. So you talked to your mom before she passed that this is what you were going to do. Yeah. All right. So why then you mentioned early on to Encinitas, which now I know because you said you're, you're going to end at Swanee's Beach, which is um, a place where you've visited often when you were little um it's got sentimental value to you but why did you start in dc that's where my mom started so she was living in dc gotcha, so gotcha. that's 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 why i started there all right so here's here's the million dollar question what was the inspiration to to walk i mean you're in the military you're caring for your mom i mean i'm not trying to be uh snarky here but Sure. In the military, you're not running marathons every day. I know calisthenics and exercise is a big part of the military, but you know, you, you just said you've been on the, the the road for five months. You've probably got yeah. another two months left, maybe yeah. another yeah. month, right? Mother, so that's mother, seven, almost two months. Yeah, so seven months out of the out of your life. Um, so what what was kind of the inspiration around the idea? Why doing across the country? Uh, versus doing some other kind of uh, physical feat? I don't know exactly why or how it came to pass that this idea lodged itself into my brain, but it did. And I think it, I think it started, so I was, in, I was in brigade command, which doesn't mean much to, to your viewers, perhaps, but I was in command of the Northeast region of the United States for ROTC. So I commanded all the ROTC programs from Pennsylvania to Maine. Wow. 41, you know, senior ROTC programs, you know, on college campuses, plus all the other satellite programs, something like 6,000 cadets. Um, I don't know, 600 cadre uh, under my command. And I was traveling every week to visit all of the different schools. So I would spend every day on the every week on the road. Because it's a big, 
area to cover. And commanders, you know, if you want to command, you have to go and see. You have to, you know, you have to be present. Um, so that that was my philosophy. So I lived on the road. And this traveling from place to place constantly um, created this idea, I think. The thing, you know, why, why, you know, why walk across the country? I think there was a part of me that realized, you know, my career in the army was coming to an end, and I and I had this desire to see the country that I served uh, and meet the people that I served um, and go on a, a journey, an adventure of my own choosing. You know, walking is something that anybody can do. Mm-hmm. So it's not very sexy. You know, people aren't like, oh, wow, that's great. You know, they're, they're, they're drawn to the guy that does something more, you know, somebody who runs across the country, you know, um, you know people always say, yeah, like, oh, look at so-and-so ran across the country. And I'm like, wow, yeah, that's great. But, all right. All right. Hold on. Let's time out this here there for a second, Kenny, though, because we're going to get into this. But like, I, I, all right. First of all, those kind of statements are idiotic. Because anyone, <laughs> any, this is the reality. Anyone doing anything across the country, A, is it's a little bit on insane, which is good. I like that. This is good insane. Now, I'm, we're not talking about like, you know, crazy insane that, you know, but, right. you know, which is cool. I, I dig this. But the logistics people, come on. Like, regardless of what you're doing, when you start at point A and go to point B 3,000 miles away, the logistics of this are the same, right? Like, whether you're on a bike, running, jogging, speed walking, or walking, you're still going from one point to the other point, and it doesn't happen in 12 hours. So like, let's let's throw all that BS out the window that it's not <laughs> sexy, because it well, is the same amount of logistics. That's what I like, yeah. that blows my mind. So I have, you know, I am a, a, an infantryman. I fight on the ground. I walk, I live and dwell in the earth. And when I looked at the walk, you know, I have a philosophy about life that's about enduring and forbearance. And that life is about enduring. In fact, you know, if you, if you ever read, and I'm sure you did as a child or in high school, not as a child, but in high school, you know, you read the, the Greek tragedies. Mm-hmm. The Greeks basically say, look, it doesn't matter how great you are. Life, which is the gods, is going to cut you down. It's about what you do about that that matters. Endure. Walking is about endurance. Anybody can do it. In fact, the human body is designed to walk. We don't walk much uh, because we drive a lot and we sit on our ass a lot. We're not meant to do that. We're meant to move. Our bodies are meant to be used. When we don't use our bodies, we're unhappy. We are dissatisfied. We are unhealthy. Negative. Anybody can freaking walk. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to walk 20 miles. You can walk 
you know, a mile. You walk a mile. And then the next week, you mock 1.5 miles. And then the next week, you do two miles. Next thing you know, your body is doing what it's meant to do. I spend all day, every day outside in the sun, in the elements, in the biome, getting bitten by bugs and dealing with the weather. And I feel great because it's my normal. I've gotten used to being in nature, in our natural state. So my, my personal philosophy is that life's about enduring the walk for me is, you know, a way to express kind of, you know, it's a little bit about myself. Like, do I have the, what it takes to endure this, this journey? And I love the metaphor of the journey. I really do. I mean, when I f- finish this thing, if I finish this thing, and I wade into the Pacific Ocean, and I look back behind me and go, I walked all the way across this country. I, I have given myself something that no one can ever take away. I'll have experienced something that very few people, there are people, a lot of people have done it, but not many. In a taxonomy of our humanity, not many people can say they've walked, you know, 3,000 plus miles in, you know, seven months or whatever. Not many. And like I talked about before, you know, why walk? Because, you know, I I actually kind of have come to this thing that like, you know, this is in our DNA. That, you know, most of our human history, 99.999999% since human beings or homo sapiens became the dominant hominid on this earth was spent walking and talking. Groups of people moving from place to place, telling stories, laughing, discussing plans, connecting. It is part of what we are. Now, we're rejecting that in our modern world. We we don't understand why we're so unhappy, why we're addicted, why we're disconnected. Because this right here, you know, doesn't replace, you know, human interaction. No matter who tells you that, oh, we don't need each other, we can just, you know, you know, we're technological and we can just do it all on technology. You know, we're, we're, we're going to go into a brave new world that's very unhappy for a lot of people. And we have a lot of problems in our society, a lot of addiction, a lot of depression, a lot of suicide, substance abuse. It's all because we're disconnected from one another. We don't take care of each other because we've created a society where we live in the suburbs. We don't know our neighbors. We get into a a cocoon, our car. We have to drive everywhere, right? You can't do anything without driving in your freaking car, right? To, To target or whatever, aimlessly driving around by ourselves in our car, angry most of the time, angry because we're late getting to work and angry because we got to get home spend our lives you know in this cocoon isolated from one another i reject that now i might just be a lone weirdo 
you know, whose beard is getting longer, this weird wayfarer out here in the wilderness. But I know I'm right. Kenny, you're not you're not being weird, and uh, I I think you're 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 spot on, and I I think you know. I always try to look at the positives and and, and out of all these negatives, and and I I feel this is not political, but you know the the pandemic was a super negative for everyone, but the one thing that it, it probably to me shown was like we we really need connection. And we need human connection. We need to be around friends. We need to have that family. Um, now, I'm not talking about you know the safety and all that. I'm not going down that hole. But the one thing that I saw was you know again connection, and and that's where I think people thrive. And and I hope that you know people listening to this realize that. And that was like one thing that we were really super. And I, and I think all the groups were really adamant about was. You know, early on when people were like, you know, you need to social distance, it wasn't social isolation. And I feel like a lot of the cancer patients experience social isolation versus social distance, right? And so that's part of humanity where I feel, you know, again, going through the last two years of whatever this was uh, that we experienced, that community and connection of humans is so, so critically important. Um, and so I, I love this this whole idea uh, about getting out on the road. And, and we've actually had a couple people, um, one guy in particular who's a survivor who actually did this. Not He actually got in his car and he just drove around the country. He went from like Maine, he was up in uh, Massachusetts, and now I think he lives in New Hampshire or Maine, and just drove down to Florida. Um, and, and he kind of made pit stops along the way, but his whole idea was just to interact and share his story of being a survivor with other people. Now, he he didn't set out a goal to to meet pancreatic cancer people, but he just met people from all walks of life and all different yeah. types of cancers, yeah. you know? And, and that's the power of 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 what you're saying here is just, and I wrote so many things down, but you know, live life now and don't wait, right? And and making these connections and sharing, you know, your story with so many people along this journey has just got to be so amazing. I got a couple logistic questions here now. So you're <laughs> okay. so so you're walking. Are you using a stroller, a jogger, yeah. a backpack? What are you doing? I mean, I you know our audience listening. You know, for those that will watch us on YouTube, you, you're in a hotel in New Mexico, I assume, a hotel yeah. motel. So, like, how do you get from point A to point B, and how do you determine like those lengths? Like, did you? I mean, you're in the military. I'm not going to make any assumptions. I've got some. My, my cousin, close, close cousin was a, what's a 20 year plus vet, the the Marines. Yeah. He's super focused. He's always got a plan. <laughs> so I assume you had this planned out. You just didn't say, Hey, all right, I'm just going to go out. I'm going to pack a bag and we're just going to go and we'll, we'll find out when we get there. Okay. Well, and that's a lot to chew off. So my first no, no, question I'll, was, I'll, so let me give you the basic you know, concept of, of logistics for this thing so first of all i had to decide like what kind of walk do i want to do do i want to just live out of a backpack if i do that then it becomes about a personal journey it becomes about me surviving that's not what i wanted to do what i wanted to do was connect i wanted to be able to communicate i sit down every day i walked a hundred i've walked since i left on the first of april i've walked for 129 days I've written 129 uh, essays about my day. Everybody that I walk with, the people I meet, the places that I've been, it's a huge task. 
to write the story every day. So if you go to my Facebook page, Kenny Walks Across America, or if you friend me at Kenny Walks, you'll see 129 reports with pictures of everything that I've done. I want to connect. I want to share the story with people. I don't have a huge following, you know, but I, but I, but I wanted to connect. So I had to do a, a different logistical plan. So my plan is based off of, I have a route. I developed my route, studying Google maps and kind of figuring out, you know, where do I want to go? Um, I wanted to start in Washington, DC. I wanted to go to Gettysburg. I wanted to go to Carlisle. Uh, I wanted to visit my cousin in Chillicothe, Ohio. Um, I wanted to go to Colorado. And so not really focused on, gosh, I really got to get to this particular place, but just sort of a general idea. And as you look at the roads and you look at where there is logistics, so looking at where are their hotels, where are, where are their gas stations, where is their food and a road, it drew me into the path that I went to. I, and I, and it's been a lot of, it's been a lot of study. It's been a lot of, I've made some changes also along the way. And, and basically what I did is I came up with a, what I'll call is a, a handrail a highway, a series of highways, not interstates, highways that I could walk along. And then I look at, okay, how do I get off of that highway and walk on backcountry roads? Because if I'm on a highway, I'm dodging traffic all day. Yeah. And people just don't care about, you know, people on their bicycles or walking. We're not there. It's the roads are not designed for us. They're designed for cars and trucks. So where I could find away off the beaten path, but kind of staying on my general path is, is sort of how I've gone. And I have a van and my daughter, Margaret, who's 22 years old. She's been driving for me since Indiana, but I've also had other people drive for me. Um, I had to get a van. Um, there's a whole story about that. I mean, I was going to buy a van. And then I decided I didn't need to buy a van. I could just do it with my car. And then I need someone to volunteer to drive my car. And everybody that kind of thought they could do it kind of pulled out because, well, I don't really have seven months to go spend. I didn't really have a logistical support plan at all. But my plan was based off of a vehicle with a person would be there for me when I needed it would drop me off wherever I needed to drop me off, you know, be dropped off, would come and give me resupply of water throughout the day, would pick me up at the end of the day and drive me to wherever we're going to sleep that night. That was the concept. One of the charities that I'm walking for is the Johnny Mac Soldiers Fund. A guy that's on the board of that charity, Jim DeOrio, sort of was the gateway into that charity for me from a mutual friend who's a West Point classmate, Jamie Schleck. Um, I talked to Jim. He asked me the same question. All right, what's your logistics plan? I'm like, well, here's my story. I don't have one right now. Um, and believe it or not, I just, you know, as, as, as worrisome as that may seem, I, I somehow just believe that somehow it would work out. Yeah. So he's like, I know somebody 
who I think might be interested in helping. I get a phone call from a guy named Jim Niebling, who owns a couple of logistics companies. He's from New Jersey. I get a call from Jim. He's like, I've, I've, Jim DiOrio, the other Jim, told me about your story. I want to support you. I'm going to figure out a way to get you a van, get you a driver, pay for your logistics. Not all my logistics, but part of the logistics. I don't know how I'm going to figure it out, but I'm going to support you. And about two weeks or three weeks later, he came down to Carlisle and he sat down with me and I kind of explained my concept. He's like, all right, I got some work to do. He got fluid trucks, which is a, uh, they lease trucks across the United States. They donated a van to support me. I'll drop the van off to them when I get to California, but they basically donated the van. Jim um, has provided uh, a driver for me at times from one of his employees, but they have, they have a day job and I, he couldn't keep that going. Um, so um, one of his guys, Eric Hall, drove for me quite a bit. Jim has paid for my gas, um, which is a huge expense. So, you know, he, he has personally supported me. So the van and the gas and the maintenance and everything associated with the van, I now had. Uh, eventually, the biggest issue for me was a driver. And I had, you know, classmates and guys I serve with and people coming, you know, family members filling in little gaps here and there, but there was no dedicated driver. That was the hardest part of this. I was like, how, was, how am I going to get through this? Um, but somehow somebody always came forward to help me. And eventually my daughter, uh, Margaret, came here and said, I'm the dad, I'm going to help you. I'm gonna, you know, she was at a point in her life where she could do this. And, and there's a whole other story there, you know, that, that's, you know, this experience that we're going through together. You know, I have four kids. She's my third daughter. You know, what we're going through together is, is we're on this journey and um, I had this weird belief not a belief a weird feeling that my daughter Margaret would end up driving for me. and I didn't force her to do it and like we'll do this you know she's 22 years old you know how that goes over <laughs> when you try to tell a 22 year old what to do but she it made sense to her and I needed her and she came out and, and, and now having her with me every day, supporting me, oftentimes grumpy with me. Okay. Dealing with dad every day, sleeping in a hotel room sometimes with me, having to deal with, you know, sharing close quarters and, and all that and, and having to work on my timeline every day. But my daughter, this van, Jim Niebling, fluid trucks, uh, made this happen for me. Now I could have come up with another way to do it. You know, there I could have bought a bike and pushed a bike twenty miles a day, then rode back to the van. I mean, that I've contemplated that. If I have to, I could do that. But there's a lot of people who've also come forward and said, "Look, Kenny, if you need me, I'm there for you," and they would. They'd come. But I've luckily had my daughter, so I've had a daughter 
as my support crew, my van, and a lot of volunteers sort of up front. And uh, the concept is, you know, to wake up in the morning, we drive to the start point. I get dropped off. I walk about nine miles. My daughter meets me after about three hours. I get resupply. I take a break. And then every uh, four miles after that, she comes and meets me. I get resupplied. I take a break. And that kind of just goes for however many miles I walk that day. And at the end of the day, we get in the car. We drive back to wherever we're sleeping that night. I've got to figure out hotels, motels, Airbnb, sometimes staying with friends and family. Um, I've got, that's a huge expense. People have donated money to me for that. I have a GoFundMe. People can sell me money. People can buy my t-shirts and my hats and my mugs um, to help give me some money to support because I do have to you know, pay for food and lodging. And I pay for my daughter, who's my employee. Um, at the end of the day, I will, you know, I've paid a lot out of pocket for this as well. But that that's, people have been very generous and, um, and been very kind. Uh, the kindness of strangers has been one of the most delightful and beautiful things that I've experienced in this. And that people will, they want to help you. And, and particularly when they see that what you're doing is for a good purpose, they, they want to help you. And I've had people go out of their way to come find me just so they can shake my hand and give me $500. Um, you know, I've met people, I didn't even know him for, you know, I, I met a guy one time. He was why he, he was driving and he saw me and he, he came back, circled around and asked me, well, what are you doing? And I explained <laughs> my story and he couldn't believe it. You know, he's like, that's, that's amazing. And I gave him my, my Facebook. I said, check me out. I'm not, you know, so you can see I'm, I'm my bona fides and you can see that I'm, you know, that I'm not just some guy out here telling you a story. There's a re there's really something going on here. And 20 minutes later, he shows up and hands me, you know, $500 in cash. He's like, donate this to that college fund that you're supporting. Um, and people donate money to me just so like, get us, go get something to eat or get something for your daughter. You know, people donated massages to me. People mas massages. I got one massage. My daughter got a massage donated to her. Somebody bought a guitar. One of my, a, a former officer that served with me bought my daughter a guitar. Um, so it's been, you know, that's a long, long answer to it, to a, a very, it's a very complex question, but that's the general concept of how this well, works. Well, you answered it perfectly. And, uh, I, I gotta say, you know, you said something before again to the, the people that say, oh, you're just walking. I, you know, I think walking's harder, like to, to run through the country or to ride a bike, <sighs> Like that's a lot faster, so you're gonna finish a lot quicker. Like walking and experiencing what you're doing and the, and the people that you've met. And and I've just got a couple questions here left, and then we're gonna share with our audience where they can connect and follow you because you you still got time on this. But this is a a loaded question, and you know this is there's no right or wrong to this. I guess to this point, 
And, and I was just looking on your Facebook page as you said that, and I, I've seen, it's awesome how every day you do these recaps. First of all, you find a lot of beer cans. What's up with that? Like, can't people just pick that stuff up? <laughs> that, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's the word I'm looking for. Astounding to me. How much people just throw their throw, freaking yeah. trash so it's it's a story the story is we got a bunch of people in this country who don't give a shit no they don't give a shit for lots of reasons maybe maybe they feel like the world's done them wrong we got all these people who they you know i basically take a picture of the first beer can i see (laughs) yeah and they drink a beer they crumple it up and they throw it out the window who does that now i get it some of them are teenagers probably yeah they don't get caught there's a lot of people that are living desperate lives who are so unhappy that they go to the liquor store and they buy a case of freaking Bud Light and they drink beer and throw it out the window and liquor bottles thrown out the window yeah. Yeah. and litter. Just yeah, it's gross. amazing amounts of litter that people just throw out the window. People that don't care. They're so selfish. They don't care. They just throw it out the window. They don't even have the, 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 the energy to stop at a gas station and put it Correct. in the trash. trash. Yes. I, I don't think that. So I, I run a lot right here in Connecticut and I see nips and bottles nonstop in my small little town of 6,000 people. And yeah. I've, I've said, I, I think you hit it right on the head. People just don't care. Right. Like it's sad that like, they, like people don't care. And, and I don't know if that's been, you know, like to your point, if, they feel like the world's done them wrong or maybe like Hollywood and movies, you know, it's acceptable and macho to pound a beer or chug a beer and throw it out the window. I don't know. Um, but I, I, I think there's a lack of self-respect. I think when people respect themselves and care about themselves and they don't do those kinds of things, it's just really sad. My question here to this point, and you know, you've been on this journey now five months this is going to be a hard question. Who's the one person that is really kind of like at the top of your list that was like, holy cow, man, I can't believe I met that person because of what I'm doing. This is one of those questions that I'll, 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 you'll be thinking about this for the next two weeks. Yeah. I mean, I've met so many people and, and I've met so many people who have been so generous with their kindness, uh, financially, their friendship. Um, and I think that I would, you know, I'm going to answer this question in probably the way that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I've, I've met a lot of interesting people. I haven't met as many people as I would have liked just because, you know, there's not a lot of people walking around out there. Okay. It's, a, it's, it's really about people choosing to engage me. Hmm. Um, I'm going to talk about probably who's been the most important on this journey. And that's my daughter. Uh, my daughter, Margaret. She's got some demons in her life. She's not had an easy life. She's still suffering. She suffers every day. Um, I think she was meant to be here with me. It's not easy. 
it's not like, oh, look, isn't this great? You're with your daughter. Because, you know, obviously it is great, but it's not great. It's hard. And, but I feel in the universe that this was meant to be, that she was meant to be here with me. And I didn't meet her. Okay. But, you know, I haven't spent as much time with her as an adult. So I've gotten to know her as an adult. Um, she's gotten to know me, you know, as, as, as a, as a human more than a, just her dad and seeing, you know, seeing me for, you know, all the things that the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, you know, I talked about, you know, me getting to, to have this relationship with my mom when she was dying, you know, this, this relationship with my, with my daughter, um, I don't think we will, we will, neither of us will fully comprehend until it'll probably be when she's older and she's able to look back and appreciate it because, you know, let's face it, when you're in your twenties, you don't appreciate things. You can't, you live no life. You think, you know, you have all the answers. Everything is a little bit easier for you. Uh, the light, your life is out in front of you. There's nothing wrong with that. That's normal, right? We, how many Shakespeare writes about this? I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a thing. It's a human yeah. thing. Um, but I, you know, I will say this: this this that my daughter here with me is is probably in many ways, and, and you know, she's not listening to this. I mean, she wouldn't appreciate it probably, but. I'll just say that, you know, her, her being here with me is, is, is as important as anything about this journey. Um, in ways that, you know, I don't even fully understand, but I believe that she was meant to be here. So that's the best way I think I can answer that question. I have had so many people here with me that have meant so much to me. I just had a guy walk with me for four days who, who I serve with in the army. Who's a West Point classmate. Who was a dear friend. Like we were best friends, but our friendship just kind of disappeared because, you know, our, our paths in the army went different ways and, you know, he retired and he took a different path. I hadn't seen him in 15 years. And here he was, you know, he spent four days with me. We rekindled our friendship. Like we laughed and it was like, you know, we just sort of, you know, it was like, it, you know, it was like we were just, sort of started back wherever we were before, but we're older now and we, we live a little bit more life, a little bit more mature. I've had a lot of experiences like that. And I've got to know a lot of people, but you know, I, it's hard for me to say, I, I would say my, I, the easy answer for me really is my daughter. And even though it's not a new person, in some way she is a new person because of, of the, our ages and, our, and, the, and the context of our relationship out here. Well, that's a, it's a pretty powerful statement. And uh, I, I just uh, wrote this as uh, that's a gift, you know, as you mentioned, you know, being with your daughter and being able to spend that time and uh, you know, the people that have come into your life during this journey, it's, it's pretty special. My last question here. And then, as I said, we're going to give our audience uh, the opportunity to find out where to follow you, connect and support you. But this is also a loaded question. Um, there's no right or wrong to this answer that you'll provide, but given your experience 
what you've been on the last five months, what you went through with your mom. Kenny, how do you define the word pancreatic cancer? What's your definition of it? You know, you, you said that you try to, you try to see the positive in all things. I don't see any positive thing. I hate it. It's a dragon that I want to slay. It makes me angry. It makes me want to fight. It makes me want to defeat it. It's the enemy. It's the, it's just a terrible enemy that I want to, I want to rip its guts out and trample on it and defeat it. That's how I feel. I know that sounds a little bit mean and maybe a little aggressive, but that's how I see it. We need to defeat this thing. We can do this. I don't know. I don't have the answers. I'm not, I'm not that kind of a guy. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, a scientist. I know my mom told me they learned more about pancreatic cancer. Uh, they've learned more about it in one year than they knew a hundred years before that. We're finding ways to get after it. Um, my mom wanted to live. Your dad wanted to live. So many people have, have, have died of this cancer. It's not a good death. No death, you could say, is good. But death is natural. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's just something I want to slay. It's the enemy. So when you say pancreatic cancer, I see red. And I'm proud to be out here enduring this walk for this cause. Now, I'm not raising a lot of money. I mean, you know, I'm not like, you know, I, I know that you said, come on, you know, you're, you're what you're doing is a big deal and blah, blah, blah. But it's not, look, I'm not raising big money. You know, I've raised like $10,700, you know, I'm competitive. Okay. Now I've raised more money for some of the other charities, but not that much. People spend $50,000 on a plate at a gala or $45,000 to go to a golf scramble. Okay. These companies out here, all these big companies, they, they can donate money to the charity. It's not going to me. It goes to the charity. It's a good cause. I'm walking across America. Okay. This is real. It's not a golf scramble. It's not a gala. It's not buying a plate. Okay. This is real. It's hard. I'm sacrificing for a good purpose. It's not about me. It's about this journey. It's about what I've shared with other people. You know, and I, it's not about the money. People have had to remind me that too, because I am competitive by my nature and I want, I want to win. I want to defeat the enemy. Okay. This is how, who I am. Um, but it's not about the money. It's about the connection. It's about, you know, a woman who lost her brother coming and walking with me and finding a connection because I shared that with her. I shared that loss. Just like you and I have shared that loss. That's what's most important is finding somebody that can help give you some strength and peace against this enemy. Um, that's, that's, 
That's what I think, pure and simple. It's powerful stuff, Kenny. And, uh, you know, I, I'll just leave this with you on the, the thought of the raising money. Um, every little bit helps. And I think uh, I've always had, and, and you, you know, my motto has always been, it's about the awareness. And if you build enough awareness, the money will come. So what you're doing is, is pretty epic stuff here where you're walking across the country, connecting with people, um, creating awareness. And, you know, you may not, to your point, $10,000 is a lot of money. Um, you know, and there's nothing out there that says that that $10,000 that goes back to PanCan, you know, that goes into one of their research programs isn't the $10,000 that finds the cure. No one knows that, right? Like, we don't know that, right? So, but it's the idea that you started, right? That you actually took initiative to do something. And I'm not saying what, you know, people, if not everyone raises $10,000, but, you know, th this war that we're on with pancreatic cancer, we need everything, we, we have to take every single dollar and that dollar could be the difference. I truly believe that. And, and that's something that, uh, that we kind of have to kind of keep pushing. Yeah. We're, we're, you're competitive. I'm competitive. You know, we want to be the, the biggest, the baddest, the, we want to raise the most money, but we also know that that dollar that we raise, that impact that we make, that the awareness that we bring could make the difference. Right. Um, you know, and so, Keep doing what you're doing, man. We need, I, I need like, we need like 10 more of you to cross the country. <laughs> oh man. I, I, I wish we could get that, man. So that, you know, it'd be like dominoes. Once someone starts and gets to another point, the other guy starts or the other person starts, right? Like that's what we need. That's just this space needs, man. It's just awesome. So for our audience listening and watching, you still got time. This is going to air in the next like two weeks. Let's see. Uh, I already wrote down. I'm going to connect with you once we hit once we hit stop here. I'm going to connect you with someone in Prescott because you're going through Prescott, and I've got a good friend who's in Prescott, so I'm going to get it out there to see you. But for our audience listening and watching, where can they connect, support you? Where's the best place? I know you mentioned Facebook, website, yeah. where, wherever that place may be. Let's give that to our audience. All right. So go to www.kennywalksacrossamerica.com. That will take you to my link tree. There are the different buttons. Three buttons are for the different charities that I'm walking for. I also have uh, a link to my shop where I sell my t-shirts and hats and mugs. Uh, that money goes to me for my purposes. I have a GoFundMe um, that is also for my expenses, uh, I will, if there's any money left over at the end of this thing, I will put it against whatever I, wherever I have a Delta for the charity. I'm not out here to make money. Uh, I do need to survive out here. Um, there's also a link to my Facebook page. So, uh, my page is called Kenny walks across America. I also have a group. Kenny Walks Across America group. You can friend me at Kenny Walks on Facebook. And I will take a look at you and you don't look like a bot. I will go ahead and allow you to be my friend. And I post every day pictures and, and I write about my journey. Um, and people seem to appreciate it. And so I keep doing it because people like it. So I'm going to keep doing it, you know, until I'm done with this. I'm also on Instagram. Kenny walks across America. 
Um, I'm on LinkedIn at Kenny Walks. I occasionally will will post things on there at Kenny Walks. Uh, so that those so the, the best way is is the is the KennyWalksacrossAmerica.com. And if you just go there, it'll take you to my link tree. You'll see a a Sasquatch, a purple Sasquatch on there. That's my that's my brand. Uh, you know, uh, walking across America with an American flag over his shoulder. Um, you know, that's my symbol. So if you see that, you know, you're in the right place. So awesome. You know, come follow me, uh, follow my journey. If you can come walk with me and, you know, just contact me on messenger or on Instagram and, and I will give you instructions on how to link up and how it works. And I have people coming all the time to walk with me and we figure it out every time. I love it. I love it. And I'm looking at your story here, your merch. So you got some great stuff in your link tree. Uh, I love it. It's awesome. Kenny, thank you for all you're doing to remember your mom, Sandra. And uh, thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast. And uh, I'm going to leave our audience with this. I know you said enduring quite a bit, and then you are enduring this, this life that you're in, and uh, you are certainly living right now. So thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast. Thanks for having me, Dino. It's been great. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today, feel free to share this episode. Please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, please be safe. Thanks for listening.